This morning we are going to finish up this series, uh, a, a shorter series. This is only the third week that we've gone through this series that I'm calling Common Threads. Uh, and this is one that I'm giving as an example of how to read the Bible in some way. So if, if you've been with us the last two weeks, maybe you're familiar with how this goes. But I'll, I'll give the, the quick recap of how this is going to take place. I'm going to read a little more scripture than usual than we have when I normally I give a message because we're taking passages that come from the Revised Common Lectionary, reading those passages, putting them side by side, and asking the simple question, what is God saying through this? How does God speak through the words of scripture? And we're practicing that in ways that I hope are useful for every one of us in our own devotional lives. Here's my hope. My hope is that you don't just read a Bible here on Sunday morning. But my hope is that you find opportunities throughout the week. That whatever that looks like for you, whether that's personal devotion with your own time, with your own Bible before God, or if you have a small group that you meet with or a Bible study group that you're a part of, whatever that looks like for you, that there's opportunities to open God's Word. And and my hope here is that That's more than just a checkbox to check off. Yep, I read some Bible today. Done. But my hope is that it goes a little bit further. That when we read God's word, we ask the question, what is God saying through this? That's what we've been practicing here the past couple of weeks with this series about common threads. Finding those themes in Scripture that are woven throughout from the Old Testament through the Psalms into the Gospels of the New Testament and finding those themes in ways where we can answer that question, what is God saying to us? What's his message for us today? So we're going to do, do that here again today, work through some of that. Three passages again today. One of them's printed in your bulletin, the last one I'll get to. Uh, they'll all be on the screen for you to follow along with. And this will be for us then, hearing God's word in a way that we look for that common thread. We've done it a few weeks now, so be thinking of that as we go through that. What is God saying through these words? I'm going to begin with Hosea. Hosea chapter 11 is the Old Testament passage for today. We saw Hosea last week from chapter 1. Now we're up to chapter 11. This is what God says through the prophet Hosea. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn away from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. But how can I give you up, Ephraim? 
How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them into their homes, declares the Lord. And let's move forward to the Psalms and a reading this week that comes from Psalm 49. Looking again and thinking, what is God saying through these words? Psalm 49, the first 12 verses. It says this. Hear this, all you people. Listen, all who live in the world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With a harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. A ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwelling for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. And then one more. Now moving forward into the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and here's a parable that Jesus tells. Here again, looking for that theme that pulls through this. What is God saying through these words? Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, 
you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, three readings that we work through again on this. Three readings that help us see something of what God is saying through his word. I want us to do two things here today, since this is the last one of these messages on common threads. Two things. First of all, let's do like we've done in the past. Let's, let's look at what these stories are actually saying, but let's not go into great detail. You know, uh, normally when I preach a passage, just one passage, we talk about things like the historical context or the background, or, or maybe, you know, from time to time I, I focus on a particular word as it comes from either the Hebrew or the Greek and talk about the nuances and the meaning of that and how the audience would have received that in their original context. Let's go over some of those things and simply ask the question, so what does the word of God say? What's the plain reading of these stories? What do they tell us? Can we find something in there that finds its way woven through all of these passages? So let's do that first. Let's work through those three passages. And, and then let's figure out, so what is that common thread? What is that thing that's woven through these? And what does that mean for us today? How is that some instruction for God, from God for our lives and our world and who we are today? Right? Those are the two things we're up to here today. So these passages that we read, first of all, Hosea. Those words that come from the prophet Hosea. Hosea, who was given that unusual task from God to marry a promiscuous and adulterous woman and have children. And then through that, it's the prophet's goal then to demonstrate how God is faithful, even though his people, Israel, are unfaithful, even though they have not been obedient to God, that God remains in his covenant love. That's the story we've seen through Hosea. And we see that here again today, too. We see that in this word that shows us that through Hosea, God is faithful, but the people respond with unfaithfulness. Do you catch that? Did you you hear that through those words that um, in the poetry of Hosea 11, he was talking specifically about the tribe of Ephraim, but it's it's in reference to all of Israel there, that his, his precious child, Israel, Ephraim, I took you by the hands. I raised you. I, I tied you with those cords of love that held you bonded together with me. Like a parent I was to you. Those words of poetry we saw in Hosea. But also in that passage, how it's noted there. But they turned away. They kept sacrificing to the idols. Every opportunity that I gave for them to turn back to me, they... They kept walking further and further away. And even through that, God maintains, I will still be faithful. I will still be there. Even though the people are unfaithful. It's as though God is saying, I have given you every opportunity again and again and again to turn around and walk down the right path. And not that path that leads to destruction, but somehow it seems again and again. And again, the people choose that path of destruction. But God continues to be faithful through that. That's the story we see coming through Hosea. 
how God continues to be faithful. And, and notice then, in all those ways that the people turn away from God, what is it that they're turning towards? I mean, I, I know it mentions things like, well, they sacrifice to the Baals and, and they worship the false idols. But really, they're, they're focusing on themselves. It's all about them. It, it's what do we need and what do we get and how do we find our path and how do we go forward in the way that we want? That God remains faithful, even though his people just seem to be making it all about them and what they want and how they can find their desires. So that's the simple reading there in Hosea that we see. But take it forward then to the psalm and see what we have in the psalm here. That in the psalm we see that God blesses his people with an abundance because this time it's not just about God's mercy and forgiveness. It's not just about his call to be repentant at that. But, but now in the psalm we saw the abundance of God's blessing, that people are abundantly blessed by God, but look at how they respond in Psalm 49, that they respond with their own selfish greed, that they trust in their own riches, that they boast about how much they've gained and what they've got. And the psalmist reminds us through the words of that psalm that even within that, even within that context of people who trust in their own riches, that all people walk the same path to the same end, that God will have an accounting for that. But it's not just the rich here. Let's not make that mistake. Right? It's not just a passage that calls out people who have abundantly more than everyone else because remember how the words of that psalm began as I read that those opening words of Psalm 49 that said, Hear this, all you people. Listen, all who live on this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. It's the reminder in the beginning of that psalm that, you know what, we've all received a measure of blessing from God, no matter who we are. We all fall into those categories, that we all have an abundance of blessing from God. And we all are surrounded in a world where we see people who respond to that blessing with selfish greed. It's the way that we see the world around us operating. So there's a response that's given there as well, a response to what God has done. And then there's the third one here, the, the parable that we saw from Luke. Now, this, this is a parable that I think starts to bring it home for us about those responses that people give to God. But we're noticing a theme that's going through this now, aren't we? A theme that the responses that are given to God in every one of these passages are highlighting or observing for us the wrong response. Not the way God has called for us or desired for us to respond, but they're all giving us the example of this is the wrong way to do it. This is not the response that God calls for. So he gives that story, that parable to illustrate. There's this man who is abundantly blessed with a harvest of grain, and he's, he sees that he's got a problem. And the problem that he sees is, I don't have enough room to store all of this. I need more space to hang on to everything that I've got. So his solution to that is, I'll just build bigger barns. I'll just get more closet space for my wardrobe. 
I'll just have that third stall garage or that fourth stall garage or the pole barn or whatever it is. You know how it works in our world. That whenever we think, I don't have room in my closet for all of my clothes, maybe the problem isn't, so I better get rid of clothes, but I need a bigger closet. That's what he's doing here. Right? It's, I've got so much stuff, and what am I going to do to hang on to all this? How am I going to keep all of this? That's his response. But Jesus tells this parable in a way that shows us, you know what, but that's not the right response. There's another response that's called for here. Another way to answer this. You see, all three of these passages focus our attention on a response that we give to what God has given whether it's in the case of Hosea, of God giving mercy and forgiveness, or it's in the case of what we see in the psalm and in the gospel here, of God giving blessing and abundance. But every time God gives for his people, a response is required. And we see these examples of responses that come. Examples that tell us about the wrong response that is given. So what do we pull from that? What, what do we see here as that common thread that pulls through with this? How do we understand that? Well, yeah, I, I suppose that maybe on the one level we could say, well, if, if every one of these is an example of a wrong response because it's all focused on ourselves, maybe the common thread here is simply that, that caution or that warning to say, so don't make life all about yourself. Stop making everything about me because then we can give the right response because all those wrong responses were selfish, inward-focused responses. But I'm going to cut that one short, though, to say, you know what? I don't think that gets at it. I don't think that gets at it because, well, the Bible's not given to us as that sort of moralistic tool. It's not just about, it's not a self-help book to tell you how to live a better life. That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is always to reveal God. That's what the Bible is for. To reveal God for who God is and what God does and the difference that makes in our lives and in our world. So any attempt to answer the question of what's the common thread, what is God saying, it has to point somehow to God, not to us. Because then we fall back into that same thing that brings us right back to those wrong responses. It's making it all about me and my life and how my life can be better and what I can do. That's not the point. The point is to make it less about me and more about God. But here's the thing with these passages. They all point out and they observe the wrong response that's given in any situation, but it leaves us with the question, so what's the right response? So, so what should the proper response be? In those cases that we saw with, in the Old Testament with Hosea, where the people, even though they've been forgiven and redeemed by God, and God continues to be faithful to them over and over again, and he points out through the prophet there, yet you continue to be unfaithful. So, what would the right response look like? How would faithfulness to God take shape? What would those actions look like in their lives? He doesn't tell us. It's not there. Or in the case of the psalm, where the psalmist points out 
how people who depend on their own riches, their own possessions, their own wealth fall short. So what would the right response be for those of us who've been abundantly blessed by so much with God? And in that parable that Jesus tells in Luke, so, so this rich man who receives this enormous harvest makes the wrong choice by saying, I'm just going to build a bigger barn and keep it all. So Jesus, what would the right choice have been? What should he have done? What's the right answer to all of these questions about how we respond to God? It's not there. It doesn't tell us. It's sort of a fill-in-the-blanks thing for ourselves, and maybe that's the point, that we're not given the exact, specific answer. The question itself is what we're looking at. The common thread that runs through these passages, because every one of these you read and you see, all right, those people did it wrong, those people did it wrong, those people did it wrong. So how should they respond? How should we respond to God in the life that we live? What is that proper response that God wants from us? It's the natural question that comes out of reading these three passages. So what should we do? How should we live? What should our response to God be? The answer is not really there in the passage itself to tell us what that looks like in detail. And that's the point. There are frequent times in the Bible where uh, a question comes up that's not answered. That happens here and there again in the Bible. And, and when that does happen in the Bible, it happens for a reason. The reason that the Bible does that is because it's a question that's meant for us to answer ourselves. So the answer is not given in the context of the passage itself because God means for that to be a question that points and steers directly at us and speaks to our hearts. That we ask that same question. God, we are people who live with your faithful, your faithful covenant upon us. So how should we respond? If, if those people responded the wrong way, how should we respond? God, we are people who've been so abundantly blessed in so many ways by God. So if those people responded the wrong way, how should we respond the right way? Those are questions that are meant to steer right towards us, that we should ask those same things. And that seems to be the common thread that runs through this. It's left unanswered because it's a question that's meant for us. And not to nail down any one specific answer, but rather to be continually asking that question. I think that's the point here. I think that's what he's after. Not that we figure it out and then walk away and say, yep, got that one, but that we're always asking. Always asking the question. Always wrestling with that issue. Always contemplating that. That we are in our lives, that we live, always looking for those ways where we're, we're facing what's going on around us and asking the question day after day, God, how should my life respond to you? Today and in whatever situation is before me, how should my life respond to you? And we're always always asking that, contemplating that, searching for that answer, wrestling with God 
on account of that. That it's always before us. And we may find different answers to that in different ways because we all have different lives and we all encounter different situations. But the common thing among us is that we're all asking the question, right? That we're all seeking God through that. Even though we all are taken on a little bit different paths in how God leads us through our own lives and whatever that looks like. So whether you're young or you're old, whether you're a student, whether you work a job and have a career, whether you're in retirement years, we all walk a path that looks a little bit different, but, but we're all asking that same kind of question. That I'm given a life that can respond to God by what God has done for me. And I should always be asking that, always focusing on that. I think it's not by mistake that God names his people Israel. That, that happens in the Old Testament when Jacob has that story where he wrestles with God in the middle of the night. And at daybreak, Jacob has God, the angel, by the, holding on and saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so Jacob is given a blessing by God and, and given a new name. The name Israel, the name that that would become the name of God's people, the descendants that follow after that. Israel, a name that literally means struggles with God, wrestles with God. That the very name of God's people implies that there is this ongoing, continual wrestling, searching, seeking for God, to follow God, to obey God to be the people that God has called us to be. That it's in the very name that God gives his people. So there's something about the question itself that stays before us today. Maybe we have a hard time with that, though. Because let's face it, we're people who like answers. Not just to have a question unanswered, but give me the answer. We're, We're people who like to fix things. I like to see things completed. We are people who live live in a world of measurable goals and achievable benchmarks. Show me the goal. Get me to the product that comes at the end. So maybe this comes as one of those things that sits a little bit uneasy. That this is an ongoing task where we go back to this question again and again and again, day after day after day, and we're always seeking, always looking, always searching, always moving forward in our lives of faith. That the journey itself is more important than the destination. That how we go through that process is more important than where that process goes that our lives of faith together with God always seek, always go before him, that we continually wrestle with the question. And in that continual wrestling, it's the very thing that keeps us focused on God. Do you notice that? Because in all of those wrong responses, right, and in all those ways that the Bible showed us those observations of the people who got it wrong, it became something that was inward-focused. It became something selfish. It's just about me. It's about what God can do for me and how my life is impacted by that. But you see, you see the difference here. 
by always asking the question, by always seeking God, by always searching for God, it means I'm not focusing on me. But the question itself turns my attention from me and towards God by simply wrestling with that searching and that seeking for God every day and in every circumstance. That search and that question itself is the thing that pulls my attention off of me and aims it towards God. I think that's intentional. It's intentional that that always stays before us. It's intentional that in the passage we saw last week from Luke, it talks about prayer. It, it ends with that instruction from Jesus. Knock, the door will be open. Seek, I'll be found. That it's the knocking and the seeking that is the point for us. We're not the ones who open the door. God opens the door. We're not the ones who actually find God, but we see in Scripture that God is the one who comes to us to be found. That we do the knocking, we do the searching, we do the seeking, and we always do that before God. And by doing that, our attention stays focused on Him. Now, this, this is a comforting thing, a comforting thing for us today because, you know, it, it, it reminds me that I don't always have to have all the answers. Isn't that true? That, that sometimes we face those difficult situations and maybe we ask those questions of what is God saying through certain situations that may be very difficult situations and, and I'm puzzled. I don't always know exactly what God is saying all the time. But I do know that God has laid before us a path to keep searching, keep seeking after him, Keep knocking on that door. Keep searching and looking for those answers. And that God will be faithful just in that. To stay with us. To walk along with us. It's comforting to know that God stays by our side through that. So in the life that we have, a life that responds to God, because our lives are called to respond to God, We respond to God by always seeking to follow Jesus. And he promises to always hold you in every step of that journey as we follow God together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the instruction in that. The reminder that in the lives that we live that so often try to find all the answers ourselves and come up with all the solutions on our own that you are the one who always lays before us a response that looks to you. God, we're sorry for times when we've made things all about us and ourselves, where we've tried to come up with our own solutions. Help us again today, Lord. Help us to remember that it just in asking the question of how we should respond to you, that itself focuses us to you. So God, guide our steps in that. Thank you for your faithful covenant that never leaves us as we walk through that. And Lord, thank you for always finding ways to turn our attention back towards you. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.